0: All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the
1: Rock and Roll Ghost Podcast. This week we have filmmaker Tim Bogart, uh, son of Casablanca Records founder uh, Neil Bogart. He made *Spinning Gold* um, about his father. Welcome to the show, Tim. Uh, hope you're doing well today. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Um, so I there I, I've I had a little I've had a little bit of issue sleeping lately, so I took. I took uh, something last night and it kicked in a little bit early and then uh, like right before it, it kicked in, I had noticed that I wasn't able to log on to see the movie, even though I had it for a bit. I wanted to wait until I got closer to the interview to watch or watch it. So luckily Mia at your comp at you know, the press uh, company uh, was able to sort that out. And I, when I woke up in the middle of the night, I, you know, I watched uh i'll admit i watched most of it and then i started going to sleep again so it's i but that's not lack of interest uh i got i have to really tell you that um you know i was genuinely i didn't know what to expect and you know you see all these music bios and you feel like you know you're kind of uh you've built up a resistance to them to some degree and you figure out where it's, how it's going to go and, you know, the, the standard stuff. But what uh, I think I really loved about the film is that you really showed your dad's love of actual music.
0: Um, you <laughs> Thank know, you.
1: You know, you don't, you, yeah. not to get off on a tangent, but I have tried twice to watch, uh, I've gotten through like, two-thirds of Elvis on HBO Max. And for me, that might be the worst music biopic I've ever seen in my life because it almost has nothing to do with the music. It almost has nothing to do with Elvis. Um, I am gobsmacked at the fact that this was number one successful. Number two is not been nominated for Oscars. Austin Butler is great, but it's hardly an Elvis movie. Um, no,
0: you know, the, the, uh, that's, that is the challenge, Of I think, of these movies, and, and the fact that you phrased it that way is literally the one thing I kept promising myself it actually had to be, right? Yeah. It had to be about people who love music, because yeah. I, like you, uh, I love music biopics, but I have always struggled to see them beyond the, well, here's another cautionary tale of someone who had some talent, Ends up right. with a metaphorical needle in their arm somehow. The rise,
1: the rise, the problems, it. the, the yeah. fall, the, the yeah.
0: possible redemption. Yeah, yeah, and I and I really was trying to do really precisely what you said was to create a love letter to music and the people who made it. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled that I'm thrilled that you felt that way.
1: No, well, because that was that was the thing that really shone through with me is just that it, it, you know obviously I, I would have to imagine that you condense you have to and that's the problem i have when people say well it didn't actually come together like that well of course not we don't have uh you know uh, (laughs) this isn't a multi-season series where we can sit there and take the week it took to make the song you know you have to condense real life things to their essence to indicate the magic of what creating art is
0: and you know i mean that that is i think the greatest challenge for, for biopics. It was certainly a tremendous challenge here, um, but, but I think there's kind of two, two different challenges. One is you're, you're saying you're creating a look at history, so you can't make stuff up, although people do it all the time. Sure. Um, I, I, coming out of the music world, having grown up in it, I really thought staying really close um, to exactly what happened was a crucial compass for us to follow. Um, but but that really gave birth to one of the, the original ideas that I had for the piece, specifically about how to tackle music. Was I wanted to show the first drafts of music because ultimately, how do you do a movie and 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 match the 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 spectacular master that Gladys Knight will ultimately make or that Bill Withers right. will ultimately make? Like you can't ever compete with those. And so instead of trying to compete with them, I wanted to see what was it like the first time Bill Withers sang. You know what I mean? It was like the first time Gladys Knight said, I think it should be midnight train. And so once I, I came up with that concept, I was able to tell stories that maybe we didn't hear. I was able to explore periods of time before the actual releases. And I think that created a great freedom to um, move around the timeline without actually changing the historical facts. And that, that was really important.
1: Yeah, and uh, just, I received a little message, and I, I normally do this at the beginning, so I apologize, but the theater is on March 31st. So this interview will be timed to that release date. So uh, make sure to check all your, I, I said this yesterday with Supercell, um, another uh, interview I did. It's like, you know, with, the, with independ- indie movies, you really have to uh, look through your local theaters each week to see what's playing. Uh, Because a lot of times, um, you know, the the mega corporate, you know, theater chains won't uh, necessarily advertise that something's there, you have to kind of find things. So I want people to make sure that they're the week of March 31st to check your local theaters to see if it's playing near you. Um, And like I said, I'm only I'm only about two thirds of the way through it. And I I think it's a brilliant film. So sorry to get off topic there. But I wanted to make sure to put that in there. Well, you know the question I had um, your your father had four children uh, where where were you in that mix I, I that I didn't know
0: sure so I, I was the eldest son there, there were three okay. kids from the original pairing and then my youngest brother Evan who uh, did the music on the film is um, from the second pair the second love of his life uh, but yeah. I was I'm the eldest son second of the original three so I was right in the middle of the original three
1: gotcha gotcha so. You had you had uh, got to know your father a, a little bit more than you know
0: uh, the young perhaps the younger yeah. ones for, for for sure and and look people people's relationships with their parents is always a fascinating thing. Um, my father was obviously quite larger than life, and so even yeah. though I was twelve when I passed when he passed away. Um, yeah, you know, I spent every day after school at the Casablanca records office at sunset. I mean, so I might have been young, but we were in the middle and the heart of what that was. So I really got a uh an extraordinary look at what his um, what his life was like, what his world was like, um, and what his dreams were like. It was it was an amazing ride. Yeah. Now was did you I mean, you obviously spent a lot of
1: time with him. You spent a lot of time in the in the thick of things, as you, you yep. kind of indicate. What did you do to kind of go back and to, to get the feel of how his energy was, uh, like how he actually, because, you know, to be honest, like, um, you know, with with uh, my father, he, you know, we had a bad relationship and he, he split when I was like 14. And I, I, I can't remember exactly how he sounds or, you know, I remember certain things, but it's like, you know, I... It, I have to imagine that it, it was difficult to kind of conjure uh, specifics. Did you have a lot of archival footage to, to
0: lean back on to get an idea? We did. So, so um, whether this was the whether this was the result of the seventies or just the result of him, you know, my, my father as an executive um, would be on talk shows all the time. Like you go back to the great Merv Griffin, or, you know, or or Mike oh, nice. Douglas shows, and he would do our shows now. This was another version of payola he would basically take over the whole hour show he'd be the main anchor and then he'd go and now let me show you donna summer and now here's the village people so i actually had quite a bit of material of him uh doing interviews he also as a as a younger man uh, as the movie tells wanted to be a a star himself so i also have a bunch of him performing Uh, so yeah there was a lot of archival stuff but i'll tell you the thing that probably informed it most was I did literally years and years of interviews, and I would keep going back, and I mean, from Clive Davis to George Clinton, the executives to the artists, I asked everybody everything, which is a rather um, bizarre experience for a kid to to do a forensic uh, investigation into their parents. Um, but I, I learned so much from the people whose lives he touched, and and the people that were really close to him. But yeah, I also had wonderful archival material.
1: Yeah, and. Um... What what you said you were doing these these interviews, was the idea always for a film or were you planning a book, uh, perhaps?
0: You know, interesting, it wasn't a book. For, it, he passed in 82. And and yeah. while I was very young, I would say, you know, the, the world gave it about six months before people were coming in trying to get the rights. Now, at, at the time, and I'm not kidding, right away in 83, yeah. people were off. But, but back then, a lot of it was for a Broadway show. Uh, people thought that there was okay. a lot of value in that. And this is kind of way pre- Jersey boys kind of saying here's what a jukebox music could be. And I would say for the first um, 10 or or 15 years after his death, uh, one of my biggest jobs as I kind of took on the mantle of being responsible for the story was just saying no to people. No, we're not going to give you the rights for music. No, we're not going to give you the rights for a movie. But in 1999, uh, I actually set the project up for the first time at a studio. And that's when I really began the interviewing process to do it as a film uh, and so it really was a deep dive going, how the hell do you tell a life story and and what part of the life story should it be when he's not the star we all know? How do you crack that? How do you crack right. that code? So it was interviews for a movie, really from the beginning.
1: okay. um what what got you into making you know films or you know uh, this this you know filmmaking process what what was the not music, you know what? It was, it was
0: it, it, you know, my, my father was, um, even though he was in the heart of music, look, look at Kiss, look at Parliament, it was a very visual kind of music. So yeah. growing up, I was on the set of the films they were making. I was uh, on the music videos with the earliest versions of music videos. They were just kind of being thought of what those could be. Um, lest we forget the great Kiss Meets the Phantom at, at the park. Uh, uh, I remember
1: that as a child, yeah.
0: <laughs> I was I was there. So uh, while music kind of ran to my, my other siblings, um, for whatever reason, I picked up a, a one of the, you know, so that old story, I had an eight millimeter camera at eight years old and I'm running around the backyard with my Star Wars toys. And um, I, I just knew, and at 12 actually, maybe uh, after he passed away and maybe this was my, my um, effort to, to deal with losing a father so young, I wrote my first screenplay at 12. It was a terrible screenplay, but it was 120 pages. So it was something. Um, and I really never looked back.
1: Yeah um you know i and my my apologies for not knowing this as well but uh what what is the current state of Casablanca Records is that something the family owns did did
0: that get no. tra-
1: swallowed up uh so, by another company
0: so, well so i won't ruin the end of the movie you should go back and watch it you'll see okay. a little bit um but no it, it, it's it's uh well known so Casablanca um, when my father left, was was um, ultimately sold to Polygram, which then was ultimately absorbed by Universal. Uh, right. Then it went dormant for many, many years. Um, and then actually Universal decided, hey, this is a great name. This is a great logo. People right. still think it's something of value. So they relaunched it um, years ago as a disco label. And it's actually quite an active disco label currently at Universal. Uh, the family, family's got nothing to do with it anymore, but it's still got the same logo, and it's still a very active universal label.
1: Yeah. Now, how, how did, um, how was growing up after your father passed? I mean, uh, did, I I know this is kind of like a tacky question in a way, but was, was he, you know, were his finances in a good position where you grew up? You know, not able to downsize your lives at all or anything. <laughs>
0: well, it's, it's actually, no one's asked me that question. Um, one would think if they watched the movie, boy, it, it, that that story ended really well. A funny thing happened on the way to that. Um, I, I guess taxes were an interesting thing in the '70s as well. Sure. Uh, <laughs> in the early '80s, um, my father actually, when he when he sold Casablanca, he started another company called Boardwalk. Uh, Boardwalks. Uh, right um, signed Joan Jett, um, so, so we had Joan Jett, um, ultimately Night Ranger, uh, Ringo Starr, but a bunch of other acts, um, that they were producing movies, musicals, and unfortunately, when he passed, um, all that was quite exposed, so, in fact, there was very little left, um, uh, from, from what that estate would have been or could have been, um, it got me through college, and, it, and it got me a, a Dodge Daytona, it got me a car, <laughs> it got me through, through NYU in a car, um, and i always thought actually having grown up with such excess and, and opportunity gave you a great taste for it and then it was all ripped away say now yeah. go earn it yourself which is what he did he earned it himself so um so it was an interesting trip but um no know, I, I, yeah I, of-
1: it's it's you know it's it's interesting because it's like I, I have to imagine you know as somebody that grew up you know poor honestly it's like the idea of having it and then not having it seems more frightening than that not having it at all
0: i, I think that's um, i think that's absolutely true when you when you're you know on private planes going to a kiss concert that's and that and then that all goes away because you're not
1: prepared for at a, all how to deal with no you know not nothing but not what you had it, it's it, it's a fascinating thing and i'm sure there's somebody out there going oh poor him he was on a private plane and then yeah. they like that that he didn't have sure. a private plane. it's like but no, the idea is that you you know you're especially as a child, you know your your world is shaped a certain way, and then your world is, it gets leveled. And you know, first you lose your father, which is the the worst, but then you know it's like how you live, You have to. It's 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 a different type of trauma, I think, in, in a way. And I know trauma is probably a hard word for some people to swallow, but you know, just thinking it in that way, it's
0: uh, well, and 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 look at. I- at twelve, you're not responsible for either the opportunity to be on a private plane or to not. Right? You're just kind right. of you're, you're literally there along for the, the ride. Yeah. You're literally along for the ride. Um, but I, what I would say was undeniable growing up, and then certainly my ability to educate uh, myself to to the facts that supported it. My father's work ethic, more than anything, w- was was just the most inspirational thing as a kid. And I think all of the uh, of the siblings, we saw how hard he worked. Um, yeah. that he was relentless in the pursuit of, of the life he wanted and the dreams he was pursuing um, and that he infused in, in all of us um, and then and then getting to learn just how poor he was when he started just how unlike, right. unlikely his success story was uh, provided all that additional engine fuel I think
1: yeah yeah no I, I could see it and then uh, your
0: siblings are all part of the film as well correct that's correct. Um, I, I am, I'm honored and blessed to work with my uh, my brothers. My sister's not in the business, but her, she is a character in, in the film. Right. Uh, but, my, but my my brother's Brad. Brad Bogart's a producer on the film and has been a producer with me on all my projects for years and years. Um, and Evan Bogart, the, the baby Bogart brother, um, among other things, wrote Halo uh, with Ryan Tedder for Beyonce, an extraordinarily talented songwriter. Um, and he nice. uh, worked with me to craft all the, the music for the film. So it's great. It's great fun to work with. That's
1: really cool, and he's 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 in music too. I mean, that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How how is working with your siblings? uh, How has that gone over different the different periods
0: of your life? It's always been great. I mean, ultimately, sibling rivalry is a real thing. Um, You know, who's in charge at the moment is is a real thing. You know, just because I'm the older brother, does that mean, you know, my final say is yes. So sort of that whole sibling reality comes with it. But I will say, um, you know, in good relationships with your family nobody can be counted on more and and making anything is really hard and knowing that you are side by side with people who would lay down you know in front of a car just as you would for them is is unique um and and i wouldn't do it any other way i mean to have my brothers with me is just a extraordinary blessing yeah um
1: the the thing that was kind of going through my head and, and which is a little more clear knowing you know um you know who you're mother was of the two women that your father was in love with how difficult is it to write a story where
0: <laughs> you have to
1: write a movie about a, your father who literally you know his marriage with your mother fell apart because of his love for two women which to most people that sounds incredulous but trust me I've been there you can love two women at one time uh, and have that be c- conflicting Uh, You know, how how difficult was that to write and to to
0: deal with? You know, honestly, it wasn't difficult to write because it was one of the things that from the beginning I thought was so important to write. I I ultimately didn't know what the audience was going to think. And and up until our first test screening, no matter how much I massaged in the editing room, I, I was firmly of the belief that in 2022, when people are looking at this, that, that women would just dislike uh, the character of my father because there's no question he's in love with two women. Um, well, two things happened. One is that wasn't the case at all. Uh, it, it, in all the test screenings, people seem to get almost what you just said. It happened. He literally fell in love with two women. Now, um, in writing it, I knew that to be so core to who he was. I do not believe my father would have ever become my father without the marriage to my mother. Nor do I believe he ever would have achieved what he what he ultimately achieved without his marriage to my stepmother. He genuinely loved them both. Um, He did love them both at the same time, and maybe this was the '70s talking. Tried to keep it going, maybe longer than could have had having them both together. Yeah. Um, But 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 you said that, and I think that's so true. It, It does happen. It can happen. And it happened for him, and I thought that was such an interesting story to tell, because I hadn't seen that done before, where you tried to make a character that hopefully we care something about, but you saw him for all those flaws. and that was a that was a big one. Um, depending upon how you looked at it. Yet if you ask my mother, she would say, no. I was with him for the exact amount of time, and ultimately, I didn't want to go where he was going. and And she on her own terms sort of ended it. And if you ask my my stepmother, Joyce, um, they were just meant to be from the moment that they, they connected. So it was a true love story. It was two love stories, and um, that was something I, I set out early to try to tackle with complete um, uh, cognizance and fear that it might turn people off. And gratefully, so far, it has. I think people really understand it. Yeah. No.
1: Actually, I I think that you you present it in a way where um, it's not a guy let's say for lack of a better word trolling for you Th- know, that's right for someone <laughs>
0: you that's know. right he literally gets knocked off his ass by falling by this other woman and now now what do you do basically that's that's his struggle now what does he do yeah uh, and that's what i wanted to explore what, what happened well and also he he's to... in an
1: industry where allowing yourself to indulge in excess obviously
0: no <laughs> is question. not frowned upon <laughs> no, no question, and, and there was something about the time of that too. You know, we're talking about the, the, the mid to late seventies. Um, but yeah, I but the, I think it, that, was that I think like, that's a real dynamic yeah. now too. I think that that's yeah, it, it was mean. just an age
1: where people were experimenting more, and maybe yeah, you know, the, uh, not to get too deep into this, but I, it seemed your mother uh, from your viewpoint in the film seemed a little bit more old fashioned in in a lot of ways, which makes yeah, sense. I was. mean, it's still was the 70s even now i don't think i don't you know people are i don't think a lot of people are as progressive as they champion sometimes like for themselves you know they can they can champion other people you know in in their lifestyles and different things i think sometimes but sometimes i think people themselves aren't as progressive to be able to even now handle something like that
0: i think that's really really right. I think in the 70s, look, we were coming out of the 60s. That was a very challenging time psychologically yeah. and politically, everything. And I think in the 70s, people just wanted to just express and just be. And and while, yes, there's a lot of that, that um, thinking today, I think it's a lot more thinking than doing today. And I think back then it was a lot more doing. I think people just let themselves be for a minute. Wow. That, was, that was a frustrating period of time. There was also a lot of social lubrication. <laughs> and, and that's also very true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: um, you know, the other thing I love is that it's a movie primarily about the 70s, which uh, in music biopics, we don't have as much about that period. We have a lot that covers the 60s, a decent amount that covers the 50s, but the 70s. You know, it even, you know, obviously some later decades still were, were, were lagging on. Um, and I think the 70s, I know a lot of people my age remember the 70s as kind of a dirty, kind of weird, tacky sort of decade. But for me, the 70s, I thought I still look upon falling maybe because I was born in the 70s and, you know, I I remember them fondly in a certain way. I remember, you know, falling in love with different things you know tv and, and movies and stuff like that so it's just I, I you know I also love the fact that it it's a 70s you know set film
0: and, and I and I love that about the movie too um, obviously that was that was a period of time for him that was really the time so that was kind of what I was going to tell right. but when I went back and really kind of looked at other other things that did put their toe in the 70s it was almost what you just said, people thought about, oh, the, the hair was too big, the collars were too big, the style was terrible, uh, the music was terrible, but that really, if you think about it, some of our greatest clothing designers came out of that period of time. You know, Norma Kamali, who was a dear friend of my of my, my stepmom Joyce's, you know, came up with the idea of the crazy sleeping bag uh, jacket because it was cold outside of Studio 54. So she brought sleeping bags. People. Some of the best designers came out of that period. Um, If you actually look at the photos from Studio 54, those people look great. We've thought about it in hindsight, going, oh, it was all too much. But actually, it was extraordinarily stylistic. And the music, for the love of God, you know, yes, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But as we say in the movie, it was sex before it was deadly. Yes, it was drugs. It was drugs before they got crazy. But the music, the music was extraordinary. So, Uh, what was important to me was to not over 70s to 70s, to not over period to period, but to embrace everything that I thought was beautiful about that time and not make it a joke, which ultimately is what I thought most 70s pieces that that there have been, have all used it as a bit of a joke. Let's make the hair really silly. Let's make the clothes really silly. Um, And and that's just not what it felt like if you were in it. Uh, And that's what I was trying to capture.
1: Yeah, Uh, I do want to mention um, the. You know the movie's gone through a lot of uh changes since you've been trying to get it made I, sure. I read that originally justin timberlake was going to play your father we developed it for years together justin and i absolutely what uh ultimately this the timing you know didn't work uh, you know,
0: out it was just t- you know justin was one of the first people that i really um set i didn't even have a script when justin got involved in the picture and and um i just as i was pitching the story at the time i just said let me tell you the greatest hits of my dad's life and kind of told them and um, and and he really wanted to do it. At the time, he was much more focused on an acting career. Um, and then as the movie was being developed, you know, as as would be the case with someone like Justin, he suddenly you know, had the idea for the next album and the next album happened to be the 2020 Experience, which had you know, multiple albums and then a tour associated with it. So he, So his music calling kept pulling him and it kept kind of pushing us further and further back. And for a while, you know, we kept kind of going along, but but ultimately the music w- was a bigger draw for him than than really committing to doing acting at the time. Um, so it really just became about timing. Uh, but he yeah. was wonderful and, and, and had a great time developing with him. Yeah, he seems to have stepped away from acting
1: a, a bit yeah. over the years. Uh, but I think Jeremy Jordan, who uh, I, <laughs> I know I had I, I I he was on a bunch of CW superhero movie uh, shows yeah, yeah. that I don't I don't necessarily remember his character or it might have he might have played the character after I stopped watching some of them but um you know he's really good in it um but I, I I guess we have to wrap up I, I I thought I honestly thought we had a little bit longer but um what uh, well just to make sure that I say again Spinning goals in theaters March thirty first please. Be, check uh, your local listings for, you know, your theaters. Uh, What is next on the
0: agenda for you? We actually, I'm actually speaking to you from Italy where where I just finished shooting um, my next film, uh, which is a really, really uh, fun, uh, original pop musical version of Romeo and Juliet. It's set in 1301. So it's set in period uh, with horses and swords and uh, kind of twist on what we think we know about about Shakespeare's story. But all with original pop music written by my brother. Uh, again, uh, just an extraordinary song. Um, so nice. we just finished shooting that in Italy uh, last month. Uh, so I'm here to, uh, posting right now.
1: Okay. Is there anybody we might know that's starring in it?
0: We got Rebel Wilson, who plays uh, Lady Capulet. Um, and uh, Rupert Everett plays Lord Capulet. Great Sir Derek Jacobi plays uh, Friar Lawrence. And then coming from our Spinning Gold cast, because I love so many of them, uh, Jason Isaacs, who played my grandfather in Spinning oh, Gold, yeah. plays Lord Montague. Um, Letacy, who plays Gladys Knight in Spinning Gold, plays a part. Uh, Taylor Parks, who plays Donna Summer in Spinning Gold, uh, plays a part. So uh, Dan Fogler, who plays uh, in Spinning yeah. Gold, plays uh, uh, the apothecary. So uh, a really fun cast and some fabulous young
1: kids. All right, awesome. Well, uh, Tim, I, I really thank you for the time today. Uh, it was a great pleasure, pleasure speaking to you. Hopefully we get to talk again. Uh, good like luck to. with Spinning Gold and, and uh, the next film, okay? Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. All right, you have a good day. You too. Be well. All right, bye.